Hey guys, welcome back to the Hole in One Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Bull. Thanks very much for listening and thanks so much for all of the support. It's really appreciated. If you follow the current golfing pages um, and golf media, it seems that um, everyone is really focused on long hitting. And you also may think that you need to be at least 245 pounds of bulked up muscle in order to power the ball long and compete on tour. Well, my guest today, he regularly hits the ball longer than 300, 300 yards off the tee even though he weighs in at 138 pounds. I'm joined by long hitter Blair McKeithen. Watch Blair hit some awesome drives here. Uh, also, make sure you follow Blair on his YouTube channel, Formula Golf, the link is below. Blair tells me about life on the European Alps tour alongside his best mates on tour, Marcus Moore and Sean Jones. Blair also provides insights into how he worked extremely hard to get where he is now, having found himself homeless early in his career. Blair also discusses improving his putting and mental game, which has really helped him become a much better player and actually win at the Alps Tour qualifying school at the end of 2020. Blair is definitely a player to watch this season on the Alps Tour. He's in search of his first win, and I'm sure it will come soon. Yeah, good to, good to hear from you. I'm glad we uh, pulled this off in such short notice. I know, mate. That's, that's the fastest turnaround I think I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> you know, hey, do you want to jump on the podcast? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> caught, me at a, you caught me at a really good time, too. It would have been pretty tough leading up to this uh, this next week. I'm trying to get all my stuff in order to get ready to go and head out. No, it's, you nailed it, man, because it's, um, yeah, it's a holiday here. And, well, in my part of New Zealand today, it's, yeah, we're, we're at home just uh relaxing and enjoying the sun and that so yeah it was pretty sweet just hell yeah it's nice. a summer's day for you out there yeah oh yeah mate it's, the summer is is real nice and hot i mean and you're are you a californian is that right yeah i'm from san diego yeah so it's a it's a, it's a nice day today too probably <laughs> not, not yeah. like summer weather but it's a perfect <laughs> golf weather wow cool yeah so what have you been up to uh, recently like uh, at home and stuff um well i actually just got done with a little weekend kind of getaway with my girlfriend yep. we went up uh, so in the mountains it snows out here and oh. then especially up north in riverside county so we went up to the mountains and just had a weekend and just kind of hung out and just kind of like a little bit of a going away oh. thing you know so it was a good old time all right good so i mean so what are the next plans this week you're you're heading so off I leave, I leave saturday to go to italy yep. uh one of the reasons why i'm going to italy instead of anywhere else is that they they're the most um with the way the coronavirus is right now, like you get tested before you go. And then I'm traveling for essential reasons because my first tournament's there. So like, if I wanted to go to like Spain or France, they might not let me in because I don't have a reason to be there technically, you know? Yep. So it's a pain in the butt, but wow. you know, I'll go there and I get, I get, they get testing at Fumicino airport in Rome. So like, it's just kind of like the easiest route to go. So you need to be tested before you leave United mm -hmm. States or yeah. Yeah. We test within yeah, yeah. 72 hours, and then I fly to Istanbul. Wow. I have a layover, and then a 22-hour a, a layover, so I'll get a hotel, and then I fly to Rome, and then I'll get tested again at Rome upon landing, and then I'm good to go, hopefully, after that point. Hopefully, I don't get turned away and sent back to the U.S. Wow, yeah, no, that would, that would be very good when I get to go home. Yeah, it, would, it would suck, but I, I think it's going to be all right. But uh, through the course of this year, I'm going to be working into getting a – legitimate visa where i don't have to worry about these problems in the future so yeah. oh no that'd be cool like so i mean basically does does the the alps tour start up again um soon then yeah. Is that way in back yeah 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 so the alps tour starts off starts off march 23rd i believe is the first event of the season mm -hmm. yeah. uh my coach is in spain and malaga where it's yeah. kind of like my home base i guess so like I'm, I'm trying to get there early so i can really train and grind with him and 
get ready for the season. So uh, it worked really well for me in October leading up to the last two events of the season for Alps Tour. And I, I mean, I'm just super excited to get back and see him and, you know, get out of the U.S. That's cool, man. <laughs> and yeah, so did, you had quite a good finish to the end of the year, didn't you? And you did well. Yeah, I did. Uh, you know, I, I got on a really bad streak where I was missing a lot of cuts, you know, and in the end, it's all in your own kitchen. You know, it's always in your head. And it was. Uh, I mean, I had I missed the cut in every possible way every single week, whether it was like a, a colossal blow up yep. or just like really, really close, just not getting it done. You know, a couple of missed putts here. It was a really interesting thing. And when you miss a couple and you're on a slide and then when the season is cut in half by the coronavirus and you feel a lot more rushed. And this is just my first year ever of really um, being on a tour. So it was a really hard uh, adjustment to deal with. But, um, you know, once I got time off and I was able to really work on the game, uh, you know, I knew, I knew it was kind of going to be all right. So, uh, but when you were, one thing I learned last year is when you're traveling and then say you have like a stretch of like five weeks in a row, you're, and you're not playing well going into it in the first place, you're constantly looking for this band-aid fix and the band-aid fix is, is a fake fix. You know, it's something that's going to make, help you make a cut or something. Right. Or like, it's not going to feel like natural, but it, it, you know, you're always searching for something that's going to get you through this week. And when you have five weeks in a row, it's like literally five weeks of searching for that band-aid. And then like you get flashes of it working and then it rips off and then you shit the bed. Wow. So like, it, and I found that to be the most drawing thing about being a traveling professional uh, to start off my career with, you know, where I, I did, I always wondered how like friends, cause I have friends who play all over the world, obviously, and, and they get on streaks where they're missing cuts. And I always go like, how the hell do you do that? You know, like, I don't, I don't get it. And now it's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you get it. So, I mean, what, what took you to play in the Alps tour in Europe, you know, coming from obviously so, America, like what, what made you right. make that change? So, like, um, first and foremost, like my, one of my, my life goal, is basically to see as much of the world as possible. Yep. Like that's, it's, it's the reason why I wake up and play golf every day, you know, like I, I want, like uh, there's a really cool quote that Sandy Lyle had in one of these documentaries where he, his dad told him at a young age, he said, see that driving range there, son, that, that's your ticket to the world. Oh, wow. So I kind of treat, <laughs> treat golf that way in a sense. And um, so I had uh, first time getting real financial backing in 2019 and I had some friends who played in China and in Asia. And, uh, and so I basically, when I found someone to pay for my first ever Q school, which was 2019, I ended up going to uh, Thailand and China to try to qualify for PT Tour China. And that travel experience was super awesome. You know, I was there for a month and a half in Thailand and China and it was, or maybe two months, I don't remember, but it was awesome. And so like, when I got back, you know, like I was kind of thirsting for more uh, broader horizons, you know, like there's, a, there's so much more to life outside of America and English speaking countries in general. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, so like uh, when I got the opportunity to actually play somewhere, I, wa I wanted to tell myself like, where can I grow the most as a human and become the best player possible? And personally, I love Europe the most. So uh, that, that's, that's kind of where it was. That's kind of what made that decision a little easy. And it's cheaper actually to travel around there compared to here in Canada. Wow, really? I've... Oh, yeah, significantly. Significantly wow. cheap. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, no, I always think Europe's, Europe's bloody expensive. <laughs> no, you know, I think it's a common misconception is a lot of people in the lower, the third tier, second tier levels yeah. don't go travel abroad. They might go to Asia over Europe yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's super cheap to travel in. But it's just more of a pain in the butt. But, um, but with Europe, it's like food's cheaper, gas is 
relatively comparable because I live in California where things are really expensive. And then, but like Airbnbs and stays are so much cheaper in, in Europe. If I wanted to stay somewhere in the United States for a month, it's going to cost me $1,400, $1,500. Whereas in Europe, I'm staying in a place in Rome wow. for an entire month of 600 bucks. And then when oh I get two of my buddies to stay with me, yep. it's a very cheap month to practice and train at. So it's just, um, yeah, wow. I, would say, I would say, say like a, a year on the Alps tour, if you were traveling pretty cheap, and especially if you had a mate to travel with, it's yep. probably going to be like 20 grand. And if you wanted to play PGA Tour Canada or try to play Corn Ferry Tour here yep. in the United States, you're looking at 40. So wow. Maybe, yeah, if you go I really cheap, the early 32,000, 35,000, but just be comfortable, 40 grand. It's insane. It's dude. a massive outlay, isn't it? Just up, like you need that to just to get through the season like, without even making any a penny or a cent. Or whatever. You're playing on a lower level tour. So it's not like you're, you have to play great to get your investment back. And, uh, and I yeah. think when, when you get older, I guess, and depending on where you are in life, whether mm-hmm. you want kids or whatever, that gets a, become a very difficult thing to, yep. to manage. Why a lot of people with a lot of talent quit in their mid late twenties because they, you know, they're like, Oh, I don't have time. You know, like I, I want to have a family or my girlfriend sent me to get a fucking job. It's not being <laughs> a golfer like me, but you know, but if you can, if you can accept that, breaking even is a good year and you get to continue your dream and your goal and you're okay with just being broke. I mean, it's the best life you can ever ask for. You know? Yeah, no, it sounds great. I mean, I just have a little quick look through your Instagram pages and there's uh, Rome, Paris. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the Eiffel Tower there, is it? It's yeah. just Vienna, like a travel guy. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, you know, I actually don't post much on my Instagram, to be fair. Like, uh, I, you know, since 2019, I think I've been to like 14 countries and I, there's no way I'm posting all those, you know, like, so it's yeah it's, I, I guess you feel a little bit like um you know because that bad people can't travel and stuff at the moment as well yes, and like exactly yeah. last year i didn't post a lot because you know it was kind of a, a little bit selfish of me like, yep. like I'm, I'm here in this dream while people are you know they can't <laughs> eat. like and and i and i'm not really a braggadocious type either like I, you know, but yeah so i don't post near enough like i think if i really wanted to like i'd be blasting instagram <laughs> I have it all on my phone. I think it's incredible, but like, you know, it's okay to have memories for yourself sometimes. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's. I don't know what that is. Oh, someone calling you. Someone calling me. Dial them in. <laughs> Dial them in. Yeah. Oh, someone is calling me on my phone. Someone's, wow. someone's calling you, and they can they can jump in. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up on that. It's actually a buddy of mine about my tea time tomorrow, so. <laughs> oh. I'm gonna call. I'll call him later. You call back. Yeah, I'm gonna turn off my phone next because no, that's cool. a that's even happening you're gonna have to edit that out so i mean this is almost like a kind of it's kind of like a mini series now right because i spoke to jonesy golf mm-hmm. uh sean yeah. jones from new zealand you know he's obviously on the Alps tour yeah. and then he mentioned a couple of you guys he said oh you know i've got some great mates on the tour on the Alps <laughs> tour and then i so i tracked down marcus i spoke to marcus and then he also mentioned you and he, he actually said contact contact blair <laughs> blair, needs, blair needs to talk so it's kind of like almost, and you, you're really lucky because you're the, you're um, the most recent one, right? So like whatever you say kind of goes now, right? <laughs> whatever you say is like that's in set in stone. So. You, you're talking to the three amigos, man. Uh, yeah, you know, no, it sounds like you have a hell of a time. And they, like you said before, the Airbnbs, they mentioned, they both said that. Um, I think Marcus said, oh, you know, it's great being able to share with room with people yeah. every week and that's great camaraderie. And 
you know, I, I had planned originally actually this year, you know, we started our season in Egypt or this was yeah. last year, you know, I guess, but it started in February and I had planned to actually travel the whole thing by myself. Like I, wow. I, I'm very comfortable by myself. I, I yep. enjoy my own company a lot, mm. you know, and, and my own schedule. And I, and I was pretty committed to that, to be honest. Like I was like, I'm just going to travel myself and just live up this dream in Europe. And, you know, this is before coronavirus. Like I had a whole, all kinds of plans to be all excited for you know but then like i i had um it's actually a, a really funny thing how marcus and i kind of connected because like i'm a firm believer that like like people put out energy that attracts you you know and it's like almost yeah, like a yeah. destiny energy is destined to collide with each other you yep. know so i had a, when i got my card in 2019 in spain i finished top 10 in final stage i had to go through first stage and everything and, so I was super pumped up about that because like I finally got my tour card somewhere. Like I'm finally feeling like I'm actually a professional golfer, which to be honest, like last year is my first year ever being a real yep. professional golfer. So I got the card and then like I looked up on YouTube, like all these different videos, like Alps tour in 2018 or 17 or something like that, like had a bunch of like uh, highlights of the tournaments. And so I wanted to mainly look at these highlights, the one, see the competition, I guess, yep. or like what, what kind of talent I'll level. Up, yeah, just check it out and stuff. Yeah, and then two to see like where they get to go in the in the world, you know, like yeah. there's, a, there's spots like you know like in Trevino up against the Matterhorn that are just stunning. And so when I saw that on YouTube, I'm sitting there shitting my pants at home, like holy <laughs> crap, I'm actually gonna go see this place in real life soon. So anyways, wow. I blasted through all those YouTube videos and I came across Marcus's video when he won in Guadalupe. And, oh wow. Uh, yeah, so like I was looking at Marcus winning this tournament in Guadalupe, and first off, foremost, I was like, well, that's gonna be cool to go to the Caribbean. I've actually never been there i've been to central america but never the caribbean that's so insane like, that they play out there though but i know by it's, the way, isn't it it's like it's pretty cool me, actually i think that might be the only time where i can actually maybe go home for a little bit uh, yeah. because it's super close yeah. you know it's like puerto rico it's like a four four hour flight i think to california from there yeah well i'm pretty excited for that but i was watching this video of marcus playing and then like they they do these interviews and a lot of the guys they interview are like italian or spanish or French and like maybe it's lost in translation a little bit like the personality isn't there I'm kind of like oh yeah some French guy's talking about like his golf game you know, do. but like when Marcus was talking he was talking about life and like what it was like to travel and be a professional golfer and enjoy it yeah he gets out of these things and then I was like if I ever meet that guy you know, I knew he got the challenge for, but I always I told myself when I saw that video the first time like this guy is so fucking cool if I ever met him yeah. I bet you would get along great and I go to Egypt and I'm, I'm out there a little bit turned around and can't find where I'm going. And I didn't know where the range was. And I was kind of like wandering around like a turkey with his head cut off. And <laughs> he goes, hey, mate, the, the range is over there. Oh and I was like, oh, thanks. It was fucking Marcus. And then literally the first person I talked to, who English speaker in Egypt, in the middle of Cairo, was this guy I watched on YouTube. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, and then cool. we just hit it off real, nice. real good. And then he's just like, oh, do you want to travel with me and Jonesy this year? And you know, save some money. And then at first I was like, ah, maybe. But then like the more we, we got on for those, that two weeks in Egypt, I was like, okay, I can travel with this guy. And then I met them in, uh, in Austria and then the rest is history. Yeah, no, they sound, I mean, he, Marcus is like, he's real sound and they had a side of chatting and they're really down to earth, like a nice guy, yeah. not, not kind of well, you know, massive ego. Yeah, he's like a very introspective cool. guy. Like yeah. he's a, he's a very, um, consciously aware of, of, you know, what he's trying to do and what we're trying to do too like we you know he like he's the same way he yep. puts the same thought process to jonesy and i when we're trying to you know like 
when we're struggling or whatever and like how we kind of feed off each other and like how he what he does to try to cheer you up if you played like shit like in my case i was just missing cuts all year and so like you know it, it was a it made the made the year a quite quite a great experience man I, I can't wait to get back out there with him again i was playing that you can sort of share the, the ups and downs and the good times and the traveling with, with yeah. those buddies isn't it it is and it, you know it's tough though like at the same time like you never want to see your mates uh play poorly yeah. and then you know like we we had our q school and then marcus and i made it through and then and jonesy didn't didn't finish off so well so he got like a different category of status than we do yeah. uh, which i think he'll get starts and you know jonesy's talented enough and and he can play like if he gets these starts i i have no doubt he'll be okay but it, yeah. it, it's hard in his case because like you know, you can't plan your schedule the way it's supposed to. And he just spent last year the same boat, like not yeah. being able to plan the schedule. And like, I know how difficult that must have been. So, uh, you know, but it, it was hard to see your your friend who you grinded with, who you're rooting for so bad, not not quite pull it through, you know, at that moment. Especially the one like a Q school where, you know, that's just the most important thing. So like, that's like the the one of the, the, sat, the harder parts about traveling with your buddies. But one of the better parts is that when you share in successes, you know, and even in your failures, you share in those two. Like, so if I missed a cut and Jonesy had a good week or Marcus had a top 10 week, like I'm stoked for them. And that, and that pumps me up too. So, you know, you can share, you can share in everything. It's just like, it's an emotional burden. That's a, it's not a bad thing to have when you, when you're playing professional golf, to be honest. You guys have like practice rounds and stuff together. And are you quite competitive or are you trying to help each other? Like, how does that work? In the um, Marcus is a number one helper. That fucking guy. <laughs> wants to help everybody and yeah. he'll help anybody who will ask you know and like and then they were like they treat him like a like a like a dad out there and he gets a little little annoyed by some people who just follow him around like oh hey, mark is gonna do this or whatever and he's like no <laughs> he's like their dad no that's awesome man. yeah, yeah. yeah. He, no, he seems but, like a helpful uh, guy yeah marcus is all about helping um oh, when we play our practice rounds we do compete we usually just play for like for in italy we'll play for pizza pizza yeah, year we'll play for beers you know like st stuff like that nothing like crazy competitive but enough to where like i, I don't want to lose you know so yeah, like, definitely, yeah. I'm, i can beat them when i play regular golf but if i were in like a chipping contest or something marcus always wins i'm not good at chipping contests yeah he i mean it sounds like pizza sounds a lot more um interesting than what marcus used to play for he yeah. told me he used to put, like play for who can push the car up the hill if you lose and if you jump in yeah. the pond if you don't make this pattern stuff that, that is a that is an anti-blair game i, I would want no oh, that. cool <laughs> you know i actually had this uh the sponsor once uh this guy who i wouldn't call him my sponsor so much as like he let me live in his shed and his rv so i can continue to play golf because rent is rent is very very expensive here in california oh, yeah, if i sure. want to golf and be a professional golfer i can't pay for rent like i yeah. I, just can't, I can't afford fifteen hundred dollars a month while also paying for maybe a membership and tournament yeah, fee yeah. And like that. so like i would do gnarly stuff like for me to be able to survive out here because i can't necessarily move either so i've been homeless lived in cars and, I, and like i said i lived in the shed i didn't have wow. any running water so i was peeing in water bottles and then taking a shower yeah. at the gym i was working at a club where i can take a shower at and stuff too but anyways he was like a like a pretty bad sponsor, I'd say, like when it comes to like, uh, uh, positive reinforcement, if you will, where he would have this game with me all the time where our home golf course was, I think, 12 miles away from the place where we were living at. And so if I didn't shoot in the 60s, we'd have one day a week where if I didn't shoot in the 60s, I have to bike home on a bike. And for, 
it only happened twice. The first time I wrote it back all the way home and I was like, I'm never doing that again. The second time, the second time I didn't shoot in the sixties, I had to ride the bike home. I actually just got on a, on a local bus and just took a <laughs> like I just drove, I rode my bike like a half a mile outside the golf course, caught a bus home. And I was like, I, I'm not doing that again. Cause actually to me, like that's, it's more um, like a, a negative reinforcement, like I think, I think positive reinforcement in your golf game. And like, yep. I don't want to yep. punish myself for anything, you know, especially not poor play. Like it, the feeling of failure is punishment enough, you know, yeah, I didn't really feel like I got better when he did stuff like that, but that, that just kind of reminds me of it at least a little bit. So what, um, <clears throat> how do you find it like over in Europe, you know, obviously you're American and that like, do you kind of, stick out a bit you know because you don't might not speak the local language or right like how do you fit in like over there on that tour and stuff well first and foremost i get along with the austrian lads very well oh, i wow. love all austrians they are the fucking coolest people man. <laughs> but no you know i'm the only american on the tour and uh i guess like uh i probably would have blended in a little bit more had it not been for like our political situation here with with our former dumbass president you know <laughs> like a lot of people would like ask me like oh you know what's going on in america but like I oh, couldn't yeah because yeah, yeah. i couldn't even go back so i mean i was just i was just kind of being a bum out in europe like wherever yeah. the tour i was so like i wasn't home for six months leading up to the election and so like but that was mainly like where i felt like towards the end people were like consciously aware that oh yeah there's this american here and i want to talk to him about the situation he's dealing with at home and what he thinks about it and like they would tiptoe around me on like whether yeah. i voted the guy or not you know and I found that to be kind of interesting. So were you a I, bit like, was it awkward or? Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what your client, um, your listeners, what their political views are, but you know, Donald Trump is an idiot and I'm happy he's gone. But like they, the way people would interact with you, um, like to try to figure out if you, what kind yeah. of American you are. You know, I think there's that really stereotype in, in Europe where they're the ugly American who's just like this fucking asshole, you know? And uh, <laughs> they would come at me like to just make sure I wasn't that American. And then right. once they found out I wasn't, we all got along really great. Yeah, I never yeah. any, um, any prejudice or anything like that for being an American. I honestly, I, I got along with pretty much everybody and everyone's fucking great. I love Europeans. Wow, that's interesting, man. Oh, so you basically, I mean, it's not your, you kind of got to buck that out of your mind. I mean, that that stuff's happening. Back yeah, then. I mean, you know, when, when, uh, when stuff like that's going down, it's, it was actually, I was so happy to not be here for it, you know? Yep. So like, I mean, I, I was as happiest as I think I've ever been really like, yep. other than poor playing golf and being separated from my cat and my girlfriend, yep. I, I guess like, I to be honest, like th that's probably the happiest I've been was traveling around last year. Like I, I live, I live for that stuff, you know? So like, I'm, I'm super fortunate to even be in a position where someone's helped me out financially where I can even do that in the first place. Like, you know, so I won't take a day for granted kind of, you know, yep. when I'm when I'm out there. So like, it's easy for me to disassociate from everything happening in America when I'm in Europe, because that's the only thing that matters. You, know? you can only control what you can control. And like, I can't control the shit that happens politically or anything in the world, really. So it's just kind of like, do your best to just control the controllables and enjoy each day that... <clears throat> living a dream that so many millions of people around the world would never even fathom for themselves you know and like here i am traveling around seville spain or wow, yeah, vienna is the number one place i've ever been to so it's like yeah i'm jealous of just all those places like no let alone yeah, <laughs> yeah so, i just want to go and, you know, jonesy jonesy lives in Bern, so i went and visited him um before trevino yep. and then uh, 
yeah, so I visited Jonesy and Bern and I stayed in this mountain city. If you look at my Instagram, wow. you probably like my rooms was just looking at these beautiful mountains called Lauterbrunnen. And it was just like a stunning, unbelievable place, you know? And like, I'm just living this dream. So like, it's pretty easy when you're doing stuff like that to disassociate from any drama that's going on back at home, I guess, for the most part. So. Yeah, man, those cities, I mean, all of them just look so, so stunning. They're all historic, aren't they? And yeah, yeah. Like Vienna was something special, man. I, I don't, I mean, I'm trying to, when I do get on the European tour, I'm trying to kind of have like a, a summer spot and probably in Malaga in Spain. And then yeah. I'd like to have like an apartment in Vienna the, and that will be where I live. Like that, that's, that's basically my goals right now. So. I find that courses like in, in America compared to say Europe, like they, they sound like they're quite a bit different. Just um... Yeah. So like the courses here in America the are, are, like big ballparks yep. America is America golf is really uh incorporating like the the length boom yeah so like I'm playing courses that are 73 7400 yards you know and it, it's not a big deal here you know like it's just kind of like that's par for the course now but when I go to Europe they're like shorter and you're like oh I should just tear this course up you know but they're <laughs> and they're, they're not that they're particularly hard they're just like if you're spraying it uh you're in trouble out in Europe so like that was an adjustment and, and then with the wind and stuff like that, like I to hit the ball out lower there at times, which I got really, really good at at the end. I'm still good at it. And um, whereas here, it's like you bomb, you bomb it, you get giant greens. Uh, and then if you if you bomb it long and you putt decently well, you're going to play good in America. Whereas in Europe, if you're a shot maker and you putt well, you're good. Like you don't have to be a like Yeah. And, and personally, I, I, I hit it really far, I think. But like, uh, I like to consider myself more of a shot maker. So your golf kind of suits me a little bit more now that I've lived it and experienced it. So what would be the sole strengths of your game then? So is it just distance or speed and stuff or? Um, yeah, you know, my driving is probably the, the one part of my game. I, I'm, I'm longer than average and, I, and I'm very accurate. So like, oh, wow. I, yeah, I can work the ball both ways off the tee and uh, you know, and I, and, I, and I can occasionally hit it 350, you know, like, so it's kind of like one of those things where I would gain a lot more off the tee than I would anywhere else. But at, at the end of the season until now, my putting is the best part of my game. So like now that uh, I'm a great, I think I'm a world-class putter, golf is so much easier, <laughs> but I was a terrible putter all season, man. And then, uh, wow. yeah. Is that what held you back then last year was just the putting ready and then? Well, yeah, the putting was mainly what held me back. And obviously, like, when you're not putting well, it puts pressure on your, yep. your big game, your short game, too. Like, you know, you feel like you're on a par three or something. You've got to hit this the four feet if you're going to bury this par three. And so you kind of press to hit it close, and then that leads to mistakes. Yep. And then, especially if you're chipping and pitching, like, if I'm in a bunker and I'm like, and it's easy, right? And you're like, you should be unconscious or subconscious on this bunker shot and just hit the shot and wherever it ends up, you know, it's probably going to be within five feet. But then when you're like, okay, I'm not a good putter. I need to get this to a kick in. Wow, Steph, yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's still, so then you're sitting there putting all this pressure on this basic bunker shot, and then you don't hit it close, and then you're like, I got to grind on this putt now. It's just a, it's a very interesting thing of what, how your brain works when you're not confident in one thing or the other. But as soon as I became a good putter, you know, that bunker shot, I could hit it to 15 feet, and I feel like I'm going to yeah, so now I'm not nervous about that bunker shot. So or that par three shot, I can play safe. You know, like it's it's a, a that I'm trying to explain it the best I can, but that's basically it. Like that's what changed a lot with those last few events. And, um, 
you know, but I know for sure that the ball striking for in my case is just, is usually going to be pretty, pretty high level. So how did you take your, take your putting stuff to that next level? Like, I think everyone wants to be a better putter than they are. Right. I mean, we'll do, but. I'm under the, I, I play golf under the impression that your brain controls a lot more than the mechanics. Yeah. Personally. Like, like I think people can play great golf with bad mechanics. I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. I've seen great players with poor mechanics make millions of dollars. So like, and uh, you always have to ask yourself, like, what, what am I missing when this person who's skanking it around, not flushing the ball and he shoots 68, like, you're like, what, yeah. you're like, what the yeah, hell? Definitely. Whereas I'm flushing the ball and I'm shooting one under and you're like, that makes no sense. Right. Yeah. So, like, Where I did what I do well, I think, is when I'm confident in something and I believe in something, I, I can do it. It's just, that's just how it is. So I was working with putting. Um, I had a face balance putter all season, and my stroke isn't really made for a face balance putter, to be honest. And then I went and I had my backup putter yeah. that was lighter and it was a blade and it had a slant neck, more toe hang and everything. And I hadn't used it all year. I was like, there's no way I'm going to use it. It's too light because I've, I had been getting taught the last four years that I need to use my big muscles to putt. You know right. what I mean? Like shoulders. Yeah, 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 yeah. I use my, I'm an artist, so like I use my hands. Like yeah, so you like want to get more feel into it, and more exactly, and, 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 more I, and I correct. So I've forsaken yeah. that field for the general consensus of how you're supposed to putt or even swing for that matter, and do short games. So like I, as a kid, no one taught me how to putt. No one taught me how to do short game. No one taught me how to hit hit the ball. I just did it from natural, yeah, yeah, natural yeah. right. And I spent five years going away from that when I first started getting lessons and then just got significantly worse. So like the, the remnants of that are still, they were still in me at that point. And of course the year, like, instead of going, if I'm under pressure to what I feel, what I need to do to execute, to make something happen, I'm going to what someone told me I need to feel to execute, if that makes sense. So when I got to Spain, I was working with my coach, Fabian Lothano, who works at La Cala Golf Resort and Spa. And um, they, I have a great relationship with those guys. They let me go out there and play. We had our Q school in 2019 there. And Fabian knows me from YouTube. Um, yeah. So anyways, so I, I've been working, I was working with him and he just kind of like, uh, I was using that, that, that different putter, the, my backup putter, and I'm putting with a claw grip. And we just kind of talked about like, basically where I just told you, like how I felt when I was putting and stuff. And like, he's like, no, well, what I want you to do it's to find the release point by feeling the weight of the head and transition. So like, if I take it back, what yeah. signals my downswing or my, my uh, transition is the weight of the head and the putter. So like, and it's really easy. It's just, you feel the weight and then you trust it. You don't, you don't manipulate speed. The speed comes from the weight of the putter. So it, I don't know what it was, man, but like just something just clicked where I was like, Oh my God, it makes it perfect difference. Wow. Yeah. And then like Marcus through the course of the year has been helping me with setup. And my setup has gotten consistently better through the course of the year. Yeah. And then finally Marcus kind of told me this little drill to do where um you know your your listeners can't really uh, hear what how I'm gonna describe it. <laughs> no, sure that's cool. So uh, if you if you kind of compress your uh thorax and like kind of yeah. into your core and then you bend over at your hips and just slightly bend your knees, you get into a perfect setup every time. And so I do that as my pre-shot routine now because, like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm trying to be a good golfer, you know? So <laughs> yeah, exactly. once I started getting the setup from Marcus and helping me with that, it led into how I can feel the club head more. So when I got to Fabian and, I was, and he was teaching me that and, like, how I feel to release the putter, 
with the weight of the putter all, while also being into the setup, like now I'm like, okay, one, I'm in a perfect setup. Two, I feel this thing like in my hand, like I know what feels like to create speed without any effort. So my putter, my putting stroke became more short and compact, but like firm and powerful and like yeah. flushing putts. And then oh, yeah. Yeah, as soon as that happens, you know, and I, and I believe in it, I, I, that's, that's it. Yeah, that's all I need. So, so it just felt a lot better off at that point in to when you Yeah, that. I mean, like exponentially better, like to the point where it's almost surreal. <laughs> how oh, better. Wow. Yeah, like it, it's, it's to this day, I, I can't believe it. I came back home and all my friends who I'd normally play golf with, like before I left, like they're like, what the hell? Like they can't beat me anymore, you know, because <laughs> I, 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 I can putt. So wow. when they're, you know, if you ever figured out a putt, you'd be on the tour. And it's like, well, now I know. Yeah. So it's kind of like, um, yeah, just built from there, I guess. Well, that's incredible. Like, so, I mean, so you kind of sorted your pattern out, and um, I was watching uh, some of the videos that uh, Jonesy put up, and and he was saying how you're a really great driver for the golf ball. <laughs> you know, he he kind of, uh, I think he's various uh, how you hit a long and straight all the time and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, can you just tell me a bit about that? Like, oh, where, where did your power come from, and you know, how good a driver are you and stuff? Well, um, so the video that I did with Jonesy was in Rome and that was a couple days before the final stage, which I, you know, I, I played pretty well in, yeah. um, and I, you know, I, in practice rounds and through the course of the year, I, I hit the ball really great. And then come tournament time, uh, both Jonesy and Marcus said the same thing, especially Jonesy, like it, he sat me down and basically was like, look, mate, you're, you're a different player come turn, come time for tournament golf. Like, like when I play with you and you're in our practice rounds, like, I enjoy talking smack and just having a good time. Not that I actually mean any of the trash talk yeah, I'm talking yeah. about, but like I would be, I like to be very, um, I like to present myself as very, very confident. Not that like, whether it's real or not, doesn't matter. It's just kind of fun. Like, Oh, I'm going to make this putt on you, Jonesy. You better watch out. You know? <laughs> See how they react to it, you know? And so like Jonesy knows me outside of tournament golf as this really confident person who yeah. just himself all the time. And so I'm hitting good drives all the time. And they come tournament golf, you know, get in your own way so like what what made me become a good driver i guess essentially or, or why i can hit it as far and as straight as i do is you know first and foremost i rotate properly i'm only 138 pounds and uh i generate speed wow. rotation i don't i don't hit the ball far from power like uh, you know like i believe i'm strong in my core and in my legs but not you know being a skinny kid like me like i'm not really strong so i have to come with great mechanics solid swing uh you know swing positions and then just ro rotating properly. So to me, that's keeping my right hip high and my transition so I can properly turn. Like if you think of it like in baseball, how people turn from behind the ball, they hit the ball really far. Their right hip stays high, uh, their left leg kind of internally rotates. It just kind of comes naturally to me. I just have naturally have always done it and I've always been pretty long. So like, I don't really think about it really like I don't think about rotating. It just kind of happens. And as long as my right hip stays high, I don't come under and hit blocks or hooks or anything. So you so don't, you're not, you're not sort of like thinking, um, oh, I've got to hit this as hard as I can, or I'm trying to, you know, no, you, just, no, you know, uh, to be honest, man, I, I, I get pretty unconscious when I play golf yeah. or subconscious. Like That's when I playing well, especially like I, I, I completely disassociate myself from yeah. thought, swing thoughts. It all, it all becomes feel. I think that's the way to play great golf. And if you believe in your ability to do that naturally, like it's just, it just, 
yeah. becomes second nature. Uh, so like me hitting a golf ball, if I have to hit the ball straight, like I know the physics of what it takes to hit the ball long and straight, like that comes from practice and knowledge and, you know, through the course of all your years of playing golf, you learn all different kinds of things. But when it comes down to it and you need to hit a drive straight, am I thinking about those things? Not at all. Yeah. It's a really fascinating thing that uh, golfers are able to do that. Uh, that I, I love it. I'm addicted to that feeling more than anything. Like that's, it's, it's the coolest thing. So like, yeah, like uh, in that video that you watched, like I can explain how to hit really far when you're downwind by hitting fade spin that has backspin. So yeah. it stays in the air and plateaus longer, right? Yeah. Like simple things like that, um, that you're consciously aware of leading into the shot. But when it comes to happening, it's like you borderline blank out. Really, really interesting. Oh, that's very interesting. And so you don't have any plans to kind of, you know, bulk up, which seems to be the trend now of trying to put all this muscle. Well, I tried to bulk up once. I mean, you know, I was yeah. I was drinking these shakes every day that were freaking that that had a all that weight gainer stuff, you know, and thousands of calories. <laughs> I worked out every day in the gym, and then I went from 138 to 142 pounds, and I was the longest I think I'd ever been at that point. But I, that was because I was swinging well too. But like, I was like, what? I, but I did work for literally three months of hard work, yeah. and I gained four pounds. And if that oh, doesn't, like, yeah, if that doesn't get you feeling a little, uh, a, a little uh, discouraged, I don't know what else would. So, but I work out, but not to gain. I work out to gain to to remain flexible. Um, I work out the parts of my body that are already very strong, like my core and my leg. Yeah. Just things to work out and go quickly play golf right after. So, like if I was pumping the iron with the with the arms you know like i don't think i'd be able i'd have the touch oh, on the greens that day you know so i don't want to ruin it <laughs> with a practice by trying to get bigger arms yeah. but like i could do 200 sit-ups and still play golf that day right and then my core is strong or vice and i work out my back and my neck but nothing that can get me big but last year like i, I planned on working out especially with marcus and sean both of them are gym nuts they love they love working yeah, out gym. They're, they love doing things that I would rather be laying in bed for, you know, but if it was, if it wasn't for coronavirus, I'd say last year I would have joined them a lot more, yeah. but we didn't really have gyms and like, I'm not, I'm not like Marcus when we were in France would go to like a park, a public park and like work out and stuff. And like, <laughs> <I'm not doing> <laughs> you know, so I, I will next year, this year, when I traveled Marcus around this year, like, and if gyms are opening up more, I absolutely will work out. But but just the kind of workouts that I'm comfortable with, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as long as I'm, as long as I remain skinny and flexible, I'm gonna hit it far. And I know how to gain distance from swing mechanics. So like, it's not uh, something I'm necessarily worried about. But there are times where I go, man, would I get to that next level if I did x, you know what I mean? Like if I did this, and then but I just don't know, you know, like, yeah, I think everyone's different on it. Like, and if you like, say, if you already hit it a good distance, and you know, there could be better as a better. You see your time, isn't there? Like working on your putting or your other parts. Of right. Game, like. Yeah, you know, like a yeah. I'm, I'm lucky. I, I've been long my whole life. I essentially, obviously, people have passed me by the older I've gotten. But there were stretches and times where I was the longest person on whatever tour I was playing on, or whatever you know, whether it's through junior golf, through amateur golf, to professional golf now people are passing me by all the time and it's you know but i'm okay with that because i'm just i still hit it 320 you know so it's like it's like do i really need to be bryson <laughs> level? Like, i don't i don't think so i i think uh 
what, what's held me back a lot was really inconsistent and shoddy putting and then um and then mental game you know and yeah that's why you get, make the biggest differences isn't it and yeah, really, really facets so like i'm not going to go out and chase distance but yeah. i think distance will naturally come the more i incorporate the work i'm doing with my coach i think i can gain another 10 yards or so yeah and so what were you like as an amateur then? I mean, like, were you, were you like always a really good golfer? Did you play other sports? You know, how did you kind of get into it and stuff? And... Um, I did play a bunch of other sports. Yep. Uh, my sport obviously was baseball. Yeah. Every American thing is everyone yeah. plays baseball. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm one of those kind of people who is at least mediocre in every sport. So if like I, if someone, you know, if I want to play hockey, I'm a decent hockey player, not a great skater because I can't skate backwards, but I can play <laughs> hockey. If I wanted to play football, yeah. you know, I would play stuff like that in high school and I'd be like a receiver. I run really fast, you know, and then I can throw a baseball clear over a little league fence or something. I can throw a baseball probably 120 yards. Like I can just huck things, maybe not 120, a golf ball for sure. Marcus can attest for that, but, <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. Like I'm naturally athletic, even though yeah. I'm really, and I'm not a big, big fella but like um so i played basically every sport uh golf i just happened to be the most natural at like from right off the bat like i i started playing golf when i was nine and what got me interested is i watched tiger win the the masters in 97 when yeah. i was a really little kid and then um and i was like wow golf looks pretty fucking cool to me <laughs> and then my oldest brother was on the golf high school golf team and then yeah. One day, my mom, we dropped him off at the golf course and all of his teammates, they, you know, the, the holes that have little flags, uh, you know, on the practice screen. And so yeah. they pop the ball out and stuff and catch him. I thought that was the coolest thing. So I, like, <laughs> I want to go play golf, you know, and like, that's what I want to do. And so my mom just kind of dropped me off there one day. Um, by, uh, after for Christmas, I got a set of like a Wilson Ultra box set, you know. <laughs> crappy little set and then right. like yeah, they just kind of dropped me off and I, I went there and then I was a range rat for two years yeah. and what I would do to get golf balls is is go and kind of help the guys clean pick the range or I would sit on hole 18 and clean clubs for the guys to get yeah. them the golf balls because my family uh, and me to this day were always very very poor so like we had no chance of being golfing me being a golfer was out of the question unless somehow I made it happen for myself. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I would do things like that, like around, like, you know, sh like maybe like shovel up something in the cart barn, the muck off the drains or whatever it was for me to get free golf balls. So I spent two years just playing, just hitting range balls. Like that's all I did. I couldn't afford to play real golf. Like I, you know, so oh, I, yeah. Yeah, it was just, it was just out of the question for me to be like, Oh, I want to go spend $30 to go play golf. Like my parents was no chance. But when I was 11, I watched, um, I watched Tiger Woods. Was I 11 at that point? It might have been 10. But I, I watched Tiger Woods when the U.S. Opened by 15. And that was the moment when oh, I was yeah, like, Pebble, yeah, that was, that was yeah, the like, I want to be like, <laughs> you know, the guy, he looks like me. You know, he, 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 you know like we're, we're, we're the same. Like, I want to be that guy. So I would dress in all Tiger shit, like red shirt. Red you know, shirt. I, I, <laughs> I get from like Goodwill. But like, I would try to be like Tiger, you know. Yeah. Everything I did was to be like that guy. So, like, I would go to the range at 11 and, you know, pretend I was freaking Tiger Woods. I'd try to sing like him. And then that's kind of how I got it. And then I played my first round when I was 11. Um, I shot 93. And I'll never forget it. It was at the Vineyard at Escondido. And that was the first and last time I ever shot in the 90s. 
Wow, so, that's a good guy, man. Yeah, so uh, the the second time I played, I shot 89, and then wow. later on in the year, I shot 75. So wow, like, really <laughs> yeah, just I just I got to a, a a really good level of golf really fast yeah, somehow. Yeah. And I shot my first round in the 60s when I was 12. So like, I really literally went from wow. range shooting 93 to 60 68 at 12 years old and then i was a really good junior golfer yeah. i won a lot of tournaments i was ranked number one in san diego i was really good in high school but i was a terrible kid and you know like i just i didn't have um the familial structure in place to push me towards be uh, towards my potential i was kind of like in a in a pretty gnarly environment with the family life yeah um you know and then um I hated school. I couldn't, I couldn't get grades. And like, it was just one of those things where I I think uh, I did the best. I I was the best golfer I possibly could be. I would say like, like for the situation I was in. Yeah. So So how how did you push on and become like a pro then? Was that your your goal at that point? You know, I want to be a pro golfer. So so how this worked was like, I had college offers all over the country. But like I like I told you, I, I just couldn't stand school, man. I, I barely, <laughs> barely, I basically got cheated out of high school actually. Like, cause I was really, I went to this school called es- Escondido Charter, yeah. and you fill out these packets and you go to school once a week. But my my teacher knew that like I'm not gonna be an academic. Like he just always felt like I was going to be a golfer and he was yeah. gonna help me to become a golfer. Yeah. Like I was on the golf team there and I was ranked number one and stuff. And like he was just like here's what you got to do you do the first there's supposed to do 12 packets to get five credits you do the first and the last packet and i'll give you five credits which meant i only had to go to school twice every like fucking two three months so like which was like a good thing where i got to practice but it was a yeah. bad thing because i got to hang out with the wrong people and drink and not right. apply myself you know what i mean okay. but uh yeah so basically weren't for him i never would have graduated you basically cheated me through high school so like anyways i graduated then uh, while I was in high school, I got sponsored by Wilson staff. Um, wow. They were giving me like golf balls and yeah. clubs and stuff in high school, which was super rad. Then when I graduated, uh, I was like, oh, I'm finally done with school. I'm just going to play golf and I'm going to be on the PGA Tour in a year. Like I just, uh-huh. I don't know what it was. Like I believed in myself. To this day, I still do. But back then, like I was really arrogant. Like I was like, I'm the best golfer on the planet. Like, <laughs> me, I can't make it on the PGA Tour. But I didn't understand. No one, no one kind of sat me down and said, listen, Blair four years of tournament golf in college is going to be worth a hundred thousand dollars of tournament golf as a pro. And you're not going to be able to get that hundred grand. So, uh, and, but no one told me that. So I turned pro after high school. Um, I was working for Wilson staff doing demo days. You're like 18 then, at that point where you kind of, yeah, yeah 18, temporary. And then, uh, I was homeless at 18. I was living in my car, working at a golf course and um for a couple months and then i was just kind of living with some friends i had a falling out with my dad at that point yeah and i was just like living at my friend's place and uh i was just couch hopping for a long time man basically i spent my whole, i'm still to this day the same way i'm just a couch hopper who's just trying to play golf but i never i never gave i never doubted that like in the end it'll work out like one way or the other you know like i know i just just kind of knew but like i would always search for a sponsor somebody to pay for my tournaments, you know, and that just didn't happen literally from the time I turned pro in 2009 until 2019. It took me a decade before I found someone to help me out financially. So it's been a crazy long ride. I mean, what, what, kept, what kept you going? Like, what kept driving you to think, wait for a while, you know, to keep trying? I guess like a, 
a self-awareness that like I am too talented to quit like like I've I've put too much of my life's work into giving up on this and like and then also knowing that like what else am I gonna do I you know like so I draw and I can I'm an artist right so like I kind of maybe wanted to be an animation director for a little bit but if I sat down for four hours to draw a really intricate picture I'm not going to get the same joy out of spending four hours hitting golf balls on on the golf course or something you know and being outside in nature and smelling grass like you kind of like uh, it's it's so hard to explain I, I just knew and to this day I still know that like everything in my life has happened for a reason to lead me to, to this point yeah. you know, like I was destined to have to deal with 10 years of being super poor and uh you know worrying about where my next meal is going to come from in order for me to play golf like instead of getting a real job and being a real human being I just couldn't I couldn't shake the fact that like I know it's going to be all right in golf it's so like that's what kind of kind of kept me going for a decade of really really low lows and uh you know there weren't many highs in there but I just knew I just I don't know I just I just know that I'm good enough you know it's kind of yeah, so I saw that go. Uh, you had a GoFundMe campaign, didn't you? Which looked like um, had a bit of support behind it and stuff. I think people. Yeah, and, the, and, that. and that's another. Yeah, that's another thing that's been super awesome. Like, so since two thousand and nine or ten, I've been involved with YouTube in one way yep. or the other, and I, I've kind of gotten a, a lot of a really supportive group of people that are out there in the world who just want to see me succeed. And it's so the only reason, to be honest, why I still do YouTube stuff yep. is because I know there's at least a thousand people or at least a few hundred who are just like, they've been following my journey for 10 years, living this wow. thing, you know, and like, like I want to, I want to show them that their belief in me is, uh, is correct, I guess, you know, and like, and I want to show them what their belief in me has gotten me to like, yeah. you know, without a support system, you don't go anywhere in life. And so like these people have been supporting me through the ups and downs. And now like I'm freaking playing golf in Switzerland and China and all these yeah. crazy places, you know, like, and they've been along for that ride. And like, I don't know these people, they're all, they're not, there's no faces to these names, but like, to me, they're, they're a really important part of my growth as a, as a human and as a golfer, especially. So yeah, like the GoFundMe when I was trying to go to China the first time, I think raised about three grand, bought my ticket, I'm ready to go. And then the Chinese government shut down all of the golf tours and stuff there. And like, oh, they, no shut, way. Yeah, they shut down the tour and closed half the golf courses. And like, it was a big deal at the time. And so PJ Tour China got canceled. So then I have $3,000 in this account and I have to use it towards like basically mini tours or something here locally. And $3,000 here goes absolutely nowhere. And it was gone. And that was, wow. yeah. Yeah. So it's, it is, you know, so like, but in the end, like that thing happening at that point in time was meant to happen to get me to where I am now. You know what I mean? So like when that fell through a lot of things, you know, a lot of like semi things that popped up that you want to do, that fell through again, didn't happen. And like, had I went and, so when I went into China in 2019 and tried to qualify, had I got my tour card this year because of coronavirus, uh, they canceled PGA Tour China. And I have friends who are on that tour with full status. They canceled them and eliminated all their status. So they have to go back next year to Q school. So they lost everything. Oh, no way. That's yeah, dude. Awesome. It, most brutal thing I think I've ever heard. So like, had I gotten my card in China, right? And I'm like, I played there the last year, then this happened, like that's the end of my career. You know what I mean? So like, it's just pretty interesting how it all seems to kind of- cool. Yeah. So.
yeah, it's crazy stuff. So what are the goals now? So you're going to head back to Europe and, you know, uh, work on your game and stuff and then get ready for the Alps tour. And have you got any kind yeah. of goals now or are you just going to see how it goes? And... You know, like, um, like, I don't play golf necessarily for money. Like, I play golf for the experience and the joy that uh, uh, being able to separate yourself from everything else gives. Like, like I said earlier, when you, when you play golf and you're focused, like, yeah. it's the only time – at least in my life where nothing, nothing else exists except for that moment. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm just super addicted to that. Yeah. Like more so than like, I, I, I can't even articulate, but um, so yeah. So like when I go to Alps tour this year, like what I wanted last year was to be able to feel like a tour pro have 18 tournaments and grow. Like I, when the tour started, I didn't have any doubt that at worst I'll keep my status and, you know, and then I'll go to Q school at the end of the year and European tour. And maybe I'll just get at least worse, get through to challenge tour, but then Q school gets canceled. A bunch of tournaments gets canceled. Half the schedule is canceled. I'm just hemorrhaging money because of travel restrictions as an American. And like, I'm like, dude, this is like borderline a disaster. Like is, you know, I, I didn't feel like I got what I needed I got a lot of growth out of last year, but I don't feel like I got what I needed to grow into being the best player that I can be. And so this year, what I'm good, what what I want is just to have this full schedule. I have the experience of knowing what it's like to travel, what to expect, you know, with each week in and out, uh, whether it's band aid fix or not. You know, yeah. I'm a little structured now with my golf game, so like I, you know, when I do need band aids, like I'm still going to shoot under par instead of shooting 70 oh, wow. like I was last year. So like, uh, I don't know, I'm just more prepared. So what I want, my goal out of this year is to just, just grow, man. I just want to be a, I want to, I want to, I want to get to the potential that I know I can get to, which yep. I think is at the highest level. So, oh, definitely, that's a, that's a really good goal. And it sounds like, yeah, yeah you're on the right track, so man. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's one hell of a journey, man. I, I hope uh, you're, that's you have sure. a listeners who are uh, listening to this and wondering if they want to turn pro to just like, kind of embrace it, you know, like Americans, especially they don't like to travel. And so like, there's a reason why there's no American out there in Europe on the tour where I'm at. And the reason why a lot of guys even don't even go to, to Asia and stuff, they all, they want to go to college here, live the college, American college life. And then they want to go play on the web.com tour or sorry, corn Ferry tour. Oh, no, yeah. And then on the PGA tour, like it's going to be bang, bang, bang. It just, it doesn't work that way. And a lot of the times, like they sacrifice these beautiful experiences they can get yeah. by just staying around in America of all places and just blasting double the price of money that it would cost yeah. to go play somewhere else to try to get, to make it quit. And so they get out of college at 22, they spend three years trying, it doesn't work and then they quit, you know? You yeah. know that it's like it's a, To me, that's just a big fat waste. I mean, it sounds like you've taken pretty much every opportunity you can, you know, gone everywhere taking China and Europe and America and like is there anything you would have done differently or would change and stuff if you could or would you have been happy I would have um I would have gone to college. Yep. Uh yep. anybody in, in foreign players too like if they ever get like a college yep. opportunity like say some school in America in Tennessee or something is like hey yep. we'll give you a scholarship take it. Uh yeah, okay, cool. first off America will cheat you through school if you're a good enough player, <laughs> if you're a good enough athlete, it's very easy <laughs> to get through college. Like, oh, it, there's a reason uh, why those guys in the football field who can't they have a bit of help, but yeah, they get right on through four years with a degree. You know, like they will help you. And uh, and I didn't understand that. You know, like nor did I want to even give it a chance. 
but four years of tournament golf playing in that atmosphere yeah dude like that's invaluable to what you want to be as a as a golfer obviously it can help you financially as like a regular person but like I mean, I would have, I would have went to college and I, and I think if I would have done that and had more structure and my uh, formative early yeah. 20s as a golfer, I, yeah. I think I probably would be at the highest level already. But that being said, had I gone to college, I wouldn't have met my girlfriend. I wouldn't have met yeah. Marcus. I never would have yeah. went to the, yeah. so like it all kind of works out for a reason. So like, yeah, but that would be my advice to anybody. And that's my regret, I guess I, I should have went to college and played four years of training golf. Who, who do you think out of other guys in there and mentors and stuff, who do you, who do you learn the most from? And also, like, who's probably, like, the best sort of player? Like, like, uh, like someone, who have I played with who's, like, you know, is, like, really special or something? Or yeah, is that yeah, yeah. Or, or just, yeah, well, both really. Just who, who have you learned the most from, like, as a mentor and a coach and, and playing oh, with somebody you've played against and you've learned a lot? Um, or is it just a little bit of everything, you know? Like a little, a little bit, bit of everything, you know? Like, I, I learn a lot from a lot of different people when I play. Like, I, I know guys who are on the PGA Tour or talking oh, wow. the stuff, you know? Like, you, you kind of, like, just get bits and pieces of what what they do right. But yeah. I think a, a big fear is that, or a big problem when you see people who you think might be at a spot that you're not at yet is to be like, I got to do what they're doing. It, it's just, yeah, it's copy they're doing, yeah. what they're doing works for them. So you, you got to find your own golf identity and your own identity as a person to succeed in your own way. Yeah. But you can, you can learn, you could do that by taking bits and pieces of everybody's stuff. Like, like the work ethic of market gets me pumped up. Right. And same with Jonesy. And what Jonesy's willing to do to, to play golf, like gets me pumped up. There is a level too. like when you, when you play with PGA tour players and you yeah. play with, you know, top 50 in the world players, top 10 in the world players, you're like, wow it's a uh, it's pretty damn like, like like you know like but i i have friends who are so impressive to me in certain facets of the game yeah. and then maybe not so much in others and then you kind of like uh you kind of just kind of take little pieces off of that yeah. bit by bit i guess you know but when you see like someone like xander play or something sure, like, yeah you're you're just like oh, okay that's have you played have you played with him much then Diamond? no no not at all, not at all. i just watched him yeah, so like I, I my my travel mate in America uh, actually grew up with him and played a whole oh. bunch of golf. So I, I get a like like a pretty good insight into like the levels that he reached, starting from like as a teenager because he wasn't a world beater as a kid, uh, you know, and like kind of a little bit opposite actually. I mean, like I, I always get eternally fascinated by people who just work their way into being really good. Like obviously, people are sometimes are just born good at golf, you know, and and the, and the you get the beauty about golf is that you get both facets of it. You know, like some people have to work their ass off. They don't start yeah. till late. they don't start till later in the teenage years or something like, or a guy like Calvin Pete who didn't start until he was like 20 something and then uh, made on the PGA tour and had a wonderful career. And you're yeah. just like, how, how do you do that? You know, but it's just like, um, and then you get guys who are just like constantly from the day they were three years old dominate, but then, Boys, you guys like Xander who were in like when they're like 14 15 they're shooting like mid 70s like maybe high 70s like early low 80s wow. and you're like okay so we literally went from 10 years time shooting 79 to top five in the world and you're just like guy, yeah you know it's just like I don't know I don't know how that uh I don't know how that really happens but when you hear the stories of it it actually kind of pumps you up you know like yeah. kind of but you know there it, it actually furthers my uh belief that most golfers when you get to a certain level uh of professional golf that the difference between us and them is a lot to do with the brain and a lot to do with oh, how man. you manage your 
manage yourself, how smartly you go about playing your golf. Um, and like, and how much belief you have in yourself. Like one of the stories that I heard, uh, my friend who I traveled with, James Christian, he, he really good friends with Xander, like, you know, super good friends. And then, so, uh, you know, he had, a. I think just missed out on first and foremost, he missed out on getting his PGA tour card by one spot on corn Ferry tour, maybe like four or five years ago, maybe a little bit more. Like he finished 26, yeah, which is devastating. Yeah. You know? yeah. And everyone around him were all like devastated for him. Like, well, dude, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know, and like, that sucks. Like a whole year on web yeah. on corn Ferry tour. Wow. I mean, you're, you're millions of dollars difference between 25th, yeah. a year in a PGA tour and corn Ferry tour is, significantly different and there's no guarantees you play well in corn free tour they're really competitive it's hard to get top 25 in that tour and um and he's just like ah it's, it's all right it'll be fine <laughs> you know and then like and then he uh i think he goes through the playoff system or whatever gets his tour card and then he misses out on getting in the masters by one spot the following year wow, pretty like banking and stuff <laughs> and like, dude i'm so sorry xander you didn't make it into the masters like it's fine like I'll be, i'm gonna play in a lot of masters i'm okay with it, you know? and like but like that, that kind of thought process, like, I think is really important, like, is to be able to be like, look, I know that it's going to be okay, whether I succeed now or later, it's going to be all right. And then you just, you start enjoying the process of it and you start enjoying the, the, you know, like pressure is such a privilege, at least our kind of pressure is like, oh, that's a good, good way of looking at it. Yeah, well, the feeling of, of pressure when you're about to hit a golf shot is lucky compared to feeling pressure when you can't feed your kid or something right so like that's yeah, not that's a privileged pressure that's a terrible pressure but our pressure is like this is the good like stuff it. this is yeah. what this is, what you this, is a, this is a battle against yourself because pressure is only yeah. coming from you it doesn't come it doesn't even come from external influences in golf really like obviously if you make a putt to win the masters you're like you know the pressure of winning the masters is there or whatever but like in the end that pressure comes internally and in, in what how you feel about winning the masters i guess like in and that's how much pressure you put on yourself if you can separate yourself from that or at worst embrace it yeah. that is the beauty that i can't get anywhere else except for golf like i want that like i i live i live for that and uh and i think um yes yeah, so like a lot of people who are at my level and you know who have talent or who i just i just know i play golf with so many guys i'm like look this guy is fucking good dude like and if he believes in himself as much as i believe in them <laughs> it'll be good and, and in that moment when pressure happens, like Q school or something, where you need to make this putt to win a golf tournament, uh, you know, I think a lot of people shy away from that. And even the daily grind of pressure, like, you know, you have to work really hard to make sure you're on top of your game so you can get to the next level. And that's difficult because like, what if I fail? That's pressure comes from fear of failure. And I think if you can eventually, uh, like the players who are able to accept it, grow from it and embrace yeah. it are the ones who are top 10 in the world. Whereas we're kind of floundering down below. It's not like, you know, you see guys like that play. I, I just played with Emiliano Grio literally uh, two weeks oh, ago. He fucking hits it. Unbelievable. He's one of the best ball strikers on tour. But that he's missing cuts. Like at wow. Tory Pines. It's like, how is this guy missing cuts when I just played with him and he shot eight under par and at a hard golf course in hard conditions yeah, and it was it was it looked like it was the easiest thing ever i think a lot of that is your brain and it even separates guys like emiliano from xander like yeah. you know i don't want to bag on emiliano he's obviously really good he's won before like he knows how to play but he's not xander shoffley he's not tiger woods you know like there's a difference but like what different separates us from even emiliano is that like is our brains at our level to wow. get to the top 100 in the world or not so i don't um 
I, that's like one of the things that like, uh, I think is the most fascinating part about golf. And, and I think that if more people realize that, uh, it'd be, a, it'd be a lot easier to become successful. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, yeah. Obviously, I could be, I could be dead wrong. I could be talking out of my ass, but that's just <laughs> my personal experience. Like, like Q school is a primo example yeah. of what your brain can do for me this year. Like I had been playing like crap all year because my brain is telling me that like, I, I'm, rushing all this process you know and i'm not enjoying the process you know i'm not i'm not enjoying the grind and i'm not enjoying knowing that like okay i can finish fifth in this tournament but i still might not even keep my card or my career or my sponsors like i didn't have control i let all the external pressures that are outside of my control get into my golf game so i'm missing a bunch of cuts and then i have to make the cut in the final term of the year to get in the final stage so i don't have to go to first stage and i had played great at golf national which i think is the hardest course we played all year and i made the cut with four doubles but like wow. uh, but like leading up to it like i knew that this would be the hurdle and Josie said the same thing too he's like i have a feeling if you make a cut you're going to be good to go you know and like i was like yeah i believe that too but i I made the cut and I made a birdie on the last hole, which is what I thought at the time to make the cut on the number. And then I ended up making it by one. But like from that point on, it was like all of that past trauma of missing cuts and being miserable was just it's fucking gone. gone. Yeah, oh, it, it was like it never even existed. And, and I had a, a moment this year where I actually thought I would never recover from this failure that I had. I don't know. I doubt you. Yeah, you, there's no way you probably heard it. But so I was um, playing in Seville. I was with Marcus and Jonesy. We're just gonna get it's gonna get a little bit deep here, I guess. I, I mean, oh, I'm man. Yeah, that's cool. That's good. That's good. Why not? Because uh, this was a it was in hindsight, it's a beautiful experience to be honest with you. But anyway, so I'm playing this tournament. I'm in a band-aid fix, just like I was telling you. You, yeah. you just you find something that's gonna work, and sometimes it works, most of the time it doesn't. So I have this band-aid fix, I'm in Seville, and I shoot five under, I think, par 71, I think it was 66 or 67 first round, and I'm one off the lead going into the second day, all right? And I'm like, okay, good, you know, like, I'm chilling, like, and I'm like, I feel good about this, like, I, I, I love the golf course, and I'm like, I, I have a good chance of winning this tournament. And then the next day, I shoot four under on the front nine, so I'm nine deep after, oh, cool. 20, well, I got, it was 20, it was 26 holes. I'm nine deep. I hadn't looked at the scoreboard and I looked at it and I'm one off the lead going to the back nine of my second, uh, the second round. And I'm like, Oh yeah, it's time to, time to make some hat. Like, let's go shoot another four under and take the lead, you know? And what's incredible is that when you have a, like a bandaid fix, like when pressure comes or, or some kind of mental thought comes, like everything that can go wrong goes wrong. I literally, so from that point on, I had my final 10 holes. Yeah. I played them in eight over par and missed the cut by one. Oh. Yeah, dude. Wow, pretty harsh. Dude, <laughs> it was the gnarliest thing oh. I have ever experienced, ever. I don't normally blow tournaments at all. Like, if I'm in contention, I usually am going to be in contention. It's usually not from blowing it. Uh, I like that was a collapse that I was in the middle of and was so externally aware of what was happening that it was like devastating. Like it was really traumatic. Like I was sitting there thinking, I remember I, I had this putt on 16 and I'm like four under at that point. The cut, I'm looking at the scorecard or scoreboard to make sure I'm like, oh, I might miss the cut. Like I gotta make, this is terrible. Like don't ever, anybody who's listening to this, do not follow <laughs> this. Leader. This is a, a confluence of errors that leads yeah. to a disaster. <laughs> as a golfer just don't do what i did so anyways i'm well in the cut line obviously i'm one off the lead you know like i'm eight in the cut line like i am chilling 
And then I started going on this bogey streak. Like I would hit a ball and it would go directly against the lip. And then like, I would be totally boned and I would make a bogey and make another bogey, another bogey. And then anyways, I go to 16, I hit on the green, I'm four under. And I literally missed like a two footer. It might've even been less. And I remember when I missed that putt, being super aware that I'm about to do the unthinkable and miss the cut. Like knowing oh, that, and I'm two shots hard, in with 17 yeah. eight. They're the two hardest holes we play all year, but I just knew it. So the next hole I hit in the water, I make bogey. And then the last hole, I hit it in the bunker up against a down slope. And I couldn't even make contact, you know, like it was on such a steep down slope with the lip. And I hit the lip with the ball. I lay it back in the bunker, get up and down for double, miss the cut by one. And I remember sitting there because uh, Marcus, I think, rallied to make the cut that day. And then Jonesy made it, I think, pretty easily. And so we're sitting there eating dinner. And I mean, like, I'm like devastated like i'm sitting on this thing and you know marcus jones is trying to cheer me up like oh you all right mate you so and stuff you know i'm like no guys like i don't think you understand i you will never see me feel worse in this moment the only thing that would make me feel worse i think is if someone called me and said my mom just died like that's how bad i felt like i was devastated and i remember thinking after i missed that put on 16 i said i might not ever recover from this I, I literally thought that that was the end of my career and my sponsors thought the same thing if you can believe that they were both like this that's it like he's done like you don't recover from that kind of thing so anyways next term I missed the cut and then I finally was able to get work in with Fabian in Spain and then I did everything I could to make to miss the cut in Rome but did everything I could to make the cut like like it was like a perfect um overcoming adversity type of cut made yeah. where I make four doubles oh, and then persevered and then like I doubled 17 and then I birdied 18 did a big freaking fist on myself you know like I was just so happy like yes. I was like I got the monkey off my back and then once that monkey got off my back I just I just knew that like I'm gonna be all right and then I was staying there with Jonesy we were practicing at the course for a month Marcus went home for a little bit and we just literally I don't know about three weeks we just literally played golf borderline every day I took um some breaks to do touristy stuff by myself like I went to Florence and stuff but I just knew I knew after that point that I was going to win Q school like I, I just I, I and I told I must have told Marcus and Sean every single time like I, I was like I'm gonna win so like uh, you know, like I don't need to worry about this like I just felt like there was no way I was not going to play well like it was impossible and is and I literally talked myself into it like every day I woke up going along with a win Q school like I'm gonna have my car I was already yeah. thinking about this year. I was already thinking about like, I need to impress my sponsors to tell, to show them that their faith in me isn't fake. And if I just like squeaked by and just got my card on like 32nd position or something, I don't think they would have paid for this upcoming year. I, I was like, I need to win wow. to prove to myself and to prove to them that I can still do this. And then, uh, yeah, yeah then basically, <laughs> basically did. You know, like that it, well. it, it, that's the power of the mind. And that's what I think that a lot of us are missing, you know, yeah. like, and I, and I get really frustrated a lot with players who I think are good. And I have so many friends of mine who are just like, they're just like wired this funky way where they're like, my best isn't good enough or whatever, yeah. you know, and they're just, I'm like, dude, like, it doesn't even matter if your best isn't good enough. If you don't believe it, you have no chance. You're that's only, your, your only ally in golf is yourself. And if you don't believe it, you're done. So like, um, yeah, I mean, but that was like a perfect example of me going to the spot where I was like, I'm never going to recover from this mentally. I'm done. Like I'm shot. And to the point where I was like, mentally, I got this. No problem. It's, it's just, it's not even difficult. And you just do it. And then you, it's just, 
it's just so much easier. Like, I don't know. And then I've just been borderline working on that same premise in my head ever since. And, you know, I have nothing, no evidence to tell me that I can't go out and, you know. Yeah, well, no, that's cool. You turn it around, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's just a, it's the power of the mind, man. Like we got control over ourselves, like in golf and you just gotta, you have to believe in your own mind and your own abilities and trust that if you do what you know you're capable of, you can beat McElroy, you can beat Tiger, you know, you gotta, you have to believe that. If you don't, just quit, you know, just just give up. That's the difference between us and them. That, that, that's the main difference. Before I let you go, uh, I mean, that's, that's just a racist turn around there, right? I mean, have you got any kind of like a, a funny story or a, or a crazy story or anything like that? <laughs> okay, so like I told you, pull this one out of nowhere. Pull it out uh, of the bag, come on. You no, know, I, I have a lot of really interesting golf stories, but like nothing that literally made me crack up and something that's relevant to you and your uh, listeners, because I'm sure they listen to the Marcus Moore one. So his was, you know, I have to say his was hilarious like he he just yeah, I, he, he just kept them coming like i don't know where he got them from but they were just funny you know, Mar- <laughs> marcus is a, marcus is actually an 80 year old man in a 28 year old body or 30 year old body like he has more one-liners and little stories like that like <laughs> I, I don't even know where he pulls these things out of but my personal funniest story especially last season is uh like we were talking about earlier when we compete in our practice rounds for yeah. beers or food or whatever you know we, we take it pretty seriously like, we don't want to lose we're playing this game at Seville where I had my big collapse and I, I'm playing solid golf. And then uh, we're all playing relatively okay. I want to say that Marcus is in the lead. We're on hole 10. I want to say he's at two under and I'm at one under and Jonesy's at like even or one over. Yeah, yeah. And so Marcus hits it left in this par four, <laughs> takes the wrong club and, and like hits it into this bunker. And then like, you know, there's no rakes or whatever. So we're like, oh, you can get a, a good lie. Like you could fudge it you know lift clean and cheat in the bunkers and he's like no i'm not gonna do that you know i'm fucking not more so he takes out this bad this bad lie and then like freaking chunks it forward and i'm like six feet for birdie and then jonesy's in the back of the green get ready to two putt he chunks this thing out and it goes in the green and he's like literally about to have this meltdown he's just like you know marcus never melts down uh, you know, or what were you guys calling a, a head off or head off? Yeah, yeah, that's what we off, head yeah. Off, he never, he never does that. He always takes things on the chin and just goes, "Oh, that sucked." But he hits this thing, knowing that he should have taken a different club from the fairway shot, knowing he should have played a different club from yeah. the bunker shot, and he hits the shot and it goes like fucking five feet in front of him in the rough. And I'm putting for birdie, and he's sitting there, and he walks up, <laughs> and he goes. He walks up to hit this thing with the same club and it's the wrong club. And he goes, don't, don't hit it. Don't hit it. Don't hit it. Don't hit it. No. And he throws his club like over the green by the car or like goes, and just takes off. Like he had to really force himself to not rush this moment to mess this shot up. And but it, it was just really funny because me and Jonesy are just laughing, watching him melt down and he throws his club and then Jonesy lags it up to like a, or Jonesy makes it. So he's freaking out because Jonesy just made it and he's about to get a two-shot swing to tie the lead. And then Marcus gets his wedge and freaking like gases it or gases it by. And we're still laughing, Jonesy and I, because it's just so funny. And he's because he's freaking out, you know. And he goes to the next putt, puts it, and it stops on the lip. Oh. And, and so the he goes from the lead to last place really fast. And it was just, I wish I could ex- he could explain it so much better than me how it went, but it was just the funniest thing i had ever seen because he doesn't do that you know yeah it's and more, more sort of 
but that was it. Like, so wow. He just had a meltdown, and me and Jonesy were just laughing, and then Jonesy buries a 40-footer, which adds to his frustration of making forty <laughs> shots. And that's basically the funniest moment of last year for me. That that was it. And I hope I can get another one of those next year because I'd love to see that's that amazing. again. It sounds like you guys have just got real good there, kind of, you know, camaraderie there and like oh, helping each other out and having a laugh and traveling around. And... It's a it's a dream. It's a dream come true, man. I, I mean, obviously, the, the number one goal is to be well off while we do this. But I mean, whether you're poor or not and you're doing what you love yeah. and like, what, what better life is that, you know? Oh, it's awesome, man. Look, I better get let you, you pack up and get ready to, to head back to Europe. And that's been, been amazing talking to you, man. The stories are yeah. really, really cool. Sorry Great journey. A little bit, but I, I hope no, you not at all, it. mate. Not at all. Very interesting. It's 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 cool, man, that you, you know, had tough times, but you pushed on and you kept going and you've had, starting to see some successes now. And really wish you all best for this year. I mean, it sounds like you're kind of close to playing, playing really well. And Thank you. Yeah, no, awesome. Yeah, all right, well, mate. We'll have to connect. Uh, yeah, we'll have to sure. Connect this season next year, maybe uh, we'll yeah, do like, yeah. an interview or something with Marcus and I. It'd be good fun. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, we good to yeah maybe maybe yeah talk to you both uh, about okay. life on tour and okay, make yeah, safe I, travels I, I, and enjoy I it. Story I said I just told you too, and he'll he'll explain a little bit better than me. I'm not a good storyteller. <laughs> All right, bro. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks a lot for your time, bro. Hey, Take it easy, mate. With me, I appreciate it. Yeah.